Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to 2 Corinthians as we finish our series through our By Faith Initiative. This is the fifth and last of those sermons. And I must confess that as I um, was thinking about this last one, particularly, I had originally thought that I would be preaching just on uh, chapter 9 and verses 6 to 10. And then as I thought some more about it and read that in its own context, that I said, no, you know what I think I'm going to do, verses 1 to 10. And then finally, after I thought some more about it and thought through it and prayed, and it's the whole chapter of chapter 9 now. So it may say one thing in your bulletin, but it is actually for uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And if you're able and willing, would you please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God? This is the word of the Lord. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to to you and arrange in advance for the gift you've promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Our God in heaven, indeed, thank you for your inexpressible gift, the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we gather this day and worship. So Lord, may his name be exalted in our midst. And may we look to him and find fulfillment, find rest. And oh Lord, would you teach us this day in my weakness, may your strength be made manifest. And Lord, would you indeed, would you work in us softening our hearts, opening our eyes, enlightening our minds, bending our wills to yours. We ask 
In the precious name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Well, you might think as we come to a passage such as this at the end of what we have named our By Faith Initiative, you might think as we come to this type of text that this is going to be one of those sermons, and particularly if you're visiting with us maybe for the first time and you don't know the context of our By Faith Initiative, or, or maybe you do and you just struggle with this a little bit and you still struggle with thinking that the church is simply concerned with or wants your money, you, you may think that this is going to be one of those sermons where you feel browbeat about how much or about how little you give. Well, I think and I pray that you'll be surprised. But we have all been there, haven't we? We've been there where we have felt like that. But let me assure you from the beginning that what I'm concerned about is what the Bible says. And what I want is what pleases the Lord. That's my, de that's my desire this morning, to please the Lord. We read from the passage just a few moments ago, and we'll come back to this again. But we read from the passage, God loves a cheerful giver. And as a church, what we want is just that. We want cheerful givers. And if you can't do that, and what you give or don't give, whether it's to some initiative or whether it's on a regular basis within your own life, within the life of the church, if it's not with a thankful, cheerful heart, then that's not a burden that I've placed on you. That is a matter of your own heart. Our text also said, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. This oftentimes is a heart issue. And one of the reasons why this biblical subject is so difficult for us is because it can reveal those idols of our heart, can't it? It can reveal those things that we find ultimate. It can reveal those things that we are often putting our trust in. Particularly when we live in a culture where health and wealth, they have indeed become ultimate. And none of us can escape living in the culture in which we live. I think that's one of the reasons why Paul tells Timothy, he says, for the love of money is the root of all evils. And notice what Paul didn't say to Timothy. Paul didn't say to Timothy that money is the root of all evil, as if those that do not have it are somehow free from this temptation, one who has it or one who does not have it can love it just the same. Whether one is poor or wealthy, it can still be an idol in one's life. They can still love it. For after all, we are tempted to trust in it, aren't we? We're tempted to think that it can provide for us, even even in ultimate ways, and give us the security and the fulfillment that we are so often looking for. And while this has been indeed a long-standing idol um, 
in human history, it's, it's interesting to note that as rich, as rich as we are today as a culture, with how much we have as a culture today, Christians today give less to the church, proportionally speaking, than we did during the days of the Great Depression. Let that sink in for just a moment. In the Great Depression, the church or Christians gave 3.3%, and that's not even a big number, 3.3% of their income to the church. Today, we wealthy Christians give 2.5% of our income to the church. And only 5% of the church actually ties to the church. Now, those are some really astounding statistics, aren't they? Really astounding. And again, you may be thinking, ah, now here he goes. He's going to guilt us into giving now with these statistics, right? I think and I pray that you'll be surprised. Because this morning, as every Sunday morning, I have the freedom and the privilege to preach the Word of God. And I have the freedom to preach this text, not from the standpoint of a church that's somehow upside down, or a church that's in dire straits. No, God has been so faithful and has provided above and beyond for this church throughout her history. And I trust He will continue to do so. And as we've learned over the past few weeks, after all, it is God who builds His church. So it is not that I want your money. I want God to have your heart. May I say that again? I do not want your money. I want God to have your heart. And that is often reflected by where your treasure is. And our By Faith initiative, as we've said from the beginning, isn't, it isn't just about a building. It's about our faith. It's about our spiritual growth. It's about ministry, both within our walls and without. And Paul makes clear in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians that this, that giving, is part of our spiritual growth and maturity. In fact, this is what he's been talking about in chapters 8 and 9. I'm just, I'm just preaching on chapter 9, but, but chapter 9, of course, comes in the context of both of those chapters together. And, it's, it's, uh, and what Paul is teaching is what Ligon Duncan calls Paul's theology of giving. That's what we find here in these two chapters, Paul's theology of giving. And I love how Paul addresses this with the church at Corinth. And and so as we walk through, we're going to look at that four things, four simple things. We're going to look at a willing giver. Secondly, you'll find this in your outline there. A willing giver, a cheerful giver, a, gr a growing giver, and finally, a thankful giver. And if it looks like the main emphasis is all going to be on the giver, you're right in a way. 
But I think and I pray that you'll be surprised. So let's look first to the willing, a willing giver. And notice with me right off the bat, verse 1 of chapter 9. What he says, he says, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. And that word there, superfluous, it means just what we think it does. It means that it is more than what is needed. It means that it is more than what is necessary. And why does he say what he's writing here is actually more than what's necessary? Well, because this is what he's been talking about for all of chapter 8 leading up to chapter 9. He's been talking about the support of ministry within the life of the church. And notice what he does with the church here. He, he begins by encouraging them. He says, I know your readiness. I know your readiness. In fact, in fact, Paul said that he's boasted about it. He's boasted about them to the people of Macedonia. I want you to let that sink in for just a moment, particularly with all of the things that we are so sensitive about as the church with money. He has boasted about their generosity to the church of Macedonia and in something that is quite amazing, again, something our church culture would find really uncomfortable. And in our church culture, particularly in the United States, we go, oh, we shouldn't be doing that because that's manipulating. That's doing this. That's doing this. Because of our sensitivity to it, we've got a problem with it. We'd have a problem with what Paul does because what Paul is doing, he is creating a sense of competition between these two churches. They're giving more. But then he says, because they give more and because you know they're giving more, it's increased their zeal to give even more. Isn't that amazing? Paul is not afraid to do what we are too often afraid to do. And that is to just talk simply and plainly about giving. And he does it here. And, and even though, and it doesn't just stop there, because even though he encourages them in their readiness to give, still yet he says in verse 5, he says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead um, to you and arrange in advance the gift you'd promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, I know you're ready, but just in case, don't want to be embarrassed. So I'm going to send some folks ahead to make sure that you're ready and make sure that when they come, it can actually be given as a willing gift and not an exaction. You see, Paul's not coming to the church at Corinth and going, it's the IRS. It's a tax man. You've got to give or else. That's not what Paul's doing. He's not a debt collector threatening punishment. He's not manipulating them by saying, hey, if you don't give, you've lost all your blessings in the Lord. If you don't give, this is going to happen. If you don't give, this is going to happen. He's not doing that. He, but what he is doing is that he doesn't want the Corinthians to begrudgingly give where their hearts believe that something is, rather than they're really giving, where they believe in their hearts that something's being taken from them. No, he wants them to be ready with a willing gift. For after all, that's, that is what reflects the work of the Lord Jesus in their own midst. That's what reflects the work of the Lord Jesus in our own midst. Generous hearts that give because you see, of course, Jesus, Jesus didn't go to the cross begrudgingly. 
I want you to let that sink in for just a minute. Jesus didn't go to the cross begrudgingly. Jesus himself says in John 10, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. He gave willingly, willingly. Talk about sacrificial giving. What did he give? He gave himself. He gave up all that he had for sinners like you and me so that we might live, so that we might have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. What we're doing here at Trinity Grace in this initiative, what we're learning here this morning from God's word is that when we give, when we give willingly, that, that we are indeed doing so out of hearts that have been changed by the Lord Jesus. Fundamentally, we give willingly because our hearts have been changed by the willing sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. That's, that's got to be fundamental. Fundamental. But it's not only, a, Paul takes this further, it's not only a willingness, but there's also a cheerfulness to give cheerfully. And there's, because there is that sense. <clears throat> there's that sense that we can give willingly because we... Because we know it's right. We know it's right. We know that God desires us to do so, and yet still, there's not a lot of cheerfulness maybe that goes with it. We're willing, and yet, we still see it more as an obligation than we do as a blessing. We do so willingly, but we're still looking at God as if, as if He's the one who's taking from us. We, we view God as the one who's requiring something of us because he somehow, he some, we think he somehow needs what we have. We view ourselves as the giver and God as the taker. In our relationships with other people, we see this, not just vertically, but horizontally, don't we? In our relationships with other people, there are those that, that, that tend to just give and give and give. And there are also those that continually take and take and take. And you know what that's like? When somebody continually takes and takes and takes, well, they are, they're sometimes exhausting to be around, aren't they? And we want to say at some point, we want to say, it's about time you give something to this relationship. I've been giving over and over and over again. You've been taking, taking, taking. Isn't it about time for you to give something? I've been the one giving, you've been one, the one taking. And as bizarre as it may seem, functionally, functionally, we often view God in this way. We often view our relationship with God like that. God, I've been giving and giving and giving. Have you not seen all that I've done? When are you going to give to me? When are you going to bless me, God? Brothers and sisters, he's given his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the inexpressible gift. But I think it comes down to, is that really what we think is ultimate? Is that gift really the gift that we want or do we want something else? So we don't see it as the gift that we ought to see it as. 
Paul says this. Paul says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's part of the wonder of this that I think we, we just simply have trouble believing. I really do. We, we can give not only willingly, but joyfully and cheerfully because of the blessing that we already have in Christ Jesus. And here's the grace. It's almost grace upon grace, isn't it? But also because there are blessings that come with our giving and by our giving. God loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever really considered that and what that means? Because think about it. You, you read that and you go, okay, God loves a cheerful giver. But if you don't go beyond that, you don't really think of the point that God loves all his children. God loves me even when I'm not a cheerful giver, doesn't he? I don't lose that relationship. Well, positionally speaking, yes, God loves his children. He has set his love upon us. That doesn't change at all. But think of it this way. I love my children. That is not going to change. That is not going to change. But when my children evidence a heart that's been changed by the Lord, by their behavior that does something that pleases me, Oh, I love it when my children do that. God loves a cheerful giver. I said earlier, I don't want your money. I want God to have your heart. I meant it. I meant it. It's so hot in here. Is anybody else hot? I'm sweating bullets. Will somebody turn down the, turn on the air conditioner? Is my face beat red? I'm not angry. I'm just hot. Oof. Thank you, Brandon. Okay, sorry not to give us off pace there. God loves a cheerful giver. You know, we off, at Trinity Grace, very familiar for us to say, to the glory of God and for the good of the people. And, th and think about that here. Think about it with God loves a cheerful giver. A, a, chill, a cheerful giver brings glory to God. And in his grace to that cheerful giver, notice verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Not only does a cheerful giver give glory to God, but it's good to the cheerful giver. You see, for the glory of God and for the good of the people. A cheerful giver. Glory to God. Good to the giver. And, and Paul, Paul quotes the Lord Jesus. And by the way, where we, where we look at this quote, it's from Acts chapter 20, I believe. I should have looked that up in between the services, but I didn't. But um, I think it's in Acts chapter 20 where Paul says that Jesus said this. Did you know that where Paul says that, that's not in the Bible? 
no, let me say this. What Paul says is in the Bible, but the quote of Jesus is nowhere found in the Bible. And for a lot of people, that gives them concern. Well, Paul says Jesus said that. I can't find it in here. Do we really believe that every single thing Jesus said is recorded in the Bible? I don't think so. He said many other things. One of the things that he said that wasn't written in the scriptures, but Paul did write it, so it becomes inscripturated is, it is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. I wonder, do we believe that? Do we believe that? And have we experienced that? I think that depends on where our hearts are, really. I think it depends on what we think are the ultimate blessings of whether we've experienced that or not. And and this is where that growth comes in, doesn't it? We're to be a growing giver, not, not just to say that we grow in our giving, that is true, but that we grow by our giving, that is also true. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul Paul quotes Psalm 112 (coughs) here talking about the man who fears the Lord, about the the righteous one who is not moved. And he says he's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. The righteous one can give freely. Why? Because his trust is in the Lord and not in his riches. He can hold loosely to his riches because he's trusting in the Lord. And here, of course, from Psalm, it's, It's in the context of of giving to the poor, especially to those within the life of the church. We are to give generously to those that don't have what we may have. This too reflects the heart of the Lord, for He cares for the poor. And sometimes I think that we're maybe a little bit more willing to to do that, to give to the poor, but then to say, but, but not to the church institution, because I don't see that. Ain't, that, may, that may be a little bit more of a, a struggle for us. But as we look at Paul's teaching throughout the New Testament, here, yes, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 as well, but also throughout the New Testament, there are, there are three emphases or emphases that he puts on giving. Three places that we as believers are to give. And one is to the poor. He emphasizes that. The second one is to the ministry of the church. He emphasizes that. And the third one is to the work of missions and evangelism. Those three places. The emphasis in giving. And as we give, as we give, there's growth. Paul says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Paul is communicating here that God is the ultimate giver and provider. And as you give, what does God do? He gives you more to give. You you grow in your giving. The harvest of your giving grows and, and you grow in your faith. Because he goes on to say, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. What is this? This This is spiritual growth. This is the Lord working in his children. You will grow in your faith. You will grow in your trust in him. Trust the Lord in these things. Trust him and with a little and and you'll be entrusted with even more. That's, That's the growing giver. And then finally, the thankful giver. 
And, and notice how Paul puts this. <clears throat> and and think, think again about bringing God glory here. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You see what he's saying? Not only is God glorified in meeting and supplying the needs of, of the saints or the support of the ministry, but those who receive, what do they do? They respond in giving overflowing thanks to God. For those who receive, they praise and they thank the Lord for His provision through those others who actually give. So if we want God to be praised, if we want God to be glorified, we want God to be thanked, then we give, and we give willingly, we give freely, we give cheerfully with the intent that with the thanks and praise and glory goes to the Lord. Even just this morning, I can't tell you how many times I get to witness this as y'all's pastor. Just this morning, there was somebody in my office crying. And I went in, I said, something the matter? No, nothing's the matter. And she said, I'm overwhelmed by God's goodness through his people at this church. Somebody would received a gift that they needed from one of you. I don't know who it was. But that's what Paul is saying here. This is, the, this is the, the more blessed to give than to receive. And yet what a blessing for that person to have received who then gives thanks to God. We give. If we want God to be praised, we give. We give willingly, we give freely, we give cheerfully with the intent that the thanks and praise and glory goes to who? Goes to the Lord. Oh, that we would be that that it would be with God's people, that God's people, us, with every gift, that that's our motive, that's our heart. Even, even this season that we desire, even with Christmas coming up and we exchange gifts and we do all of those things, that, that we would desire that the thanks for those things actually go to the Lord. That when we give a gift, the desire, our desire wouldn't necessarily be that the thanks would go to me. Of course, we teach our kids to do that and it's proper and it's right to do that but that our hearts, that when we give, with the intent that the thanks and praise and glory goes to the Lord. Because ultimately, the reason we give is so that God is glorified. So that God is glorified. Paul says here, by their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. There's a lot there in that statement, isn't there? But from what Paul is saying here, our giving doesn't just glorify God in the advance of ministry. It doesn't just allow ministry to take place. And I think, I think this is how we often look at giving sometimes. And I also think that it's why we don't see the importance of it and I also think that it's an incorrect view of it. We often think, well, I can't do anything else, so I give so that others can do ministry. Now, you don't raise your hand, don't answer the question, but just ask yourself, how many of you have ever thought that before? I give so that others can do ministry. 
That's not Paul's understanding of giving here. It doesn't just bring glory to God in promoting ministry. Brothers and sisters, it is ministry. That's what Paul is saying. It is ministry. As we give or as we give as a corporate body, it's not simply that it allows us to do the ministry of the church. It's actually ministering to one another within the life of the church. I get to see that others, you get to see that others are giving for the support of the church. Why? Because the confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ has had such an impact on my brother over here that he's willing to part with what he's earned, but what God has provided for him for the sake of the church. Do you see? And we rejoice in that. It's a ministry to one another. When we give it, it is a testimony of our submission that comes from our confession of the gospel of Christ. And God is glorified not only in us, but by them because of our generosity. That's the wonder of it. And I'll be really honest. I did not think of giving in this way before I prepared for the sermon. I didn't. I've learned this week in a good way. And it also increases our affection among the saints. I mentioned that just a moment ago with the illustration from in between the two services. And, and I get it. And I want to be careful how I say this because I know this is sensitive. We, we, in our culture, we want to be so private about everything having to do with money. We want to be so private about everything having to do with our giving, and I understand it. And we actually, we respect that as a church. We do. Um, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know half of what goes on in this church. Um, that didn't sound like, that wasn't very good way to say that. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. We want to be so private about our giving. And, and indeed, I understand Jesus, Jesus says in Matthew 6, doesn't he? Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But I think we need to understand that what Jesus is saying there, Jesus is saying this is a heart issue for the one that's giving. This is a motive issue because what he's saying is don't be like the hypocrites who only give so that others can give them accolades for their generosity. Because what happens? Well, Jesus says, well, they've already received their due if that happens, right? So this is about our heart. It's about the motive of the one who gives. Our motive shouldn't be that I'm going to receive accolades. Our motive should be that God would be glorified. And sometimes it is necessary that people know what we give or what we do not give in order that God is glorified. Something's got to be public about it. That doesn't mean we release names or numbers. That's not what I'm saying. But brothers and sisters, let's not be so private about it that we actually cover up the blessing that God's given to the life of our church in so many ways. We don't need to do that. What we do need to do is watch our own hearts and our motives. God is glorified because when that happens, our affection for one another is increased. I don't even know if my brother Rob remembers this, but years and years and years ago, I was in a ministry that the ministry was struggling financially. 
And um, we'd been several months without a paycheck. And um, Rob had, do you remember this? Kind of. Rob had got a new job and he was moving and they called my family and said, hey, we're moving, but we don't have a new church yet. We just need to know what to do with, we don't have a place to tithe yet. You know any ministry that needs it? And my wife just simply mentioned that, yeah, we, we actually, yeah, we know a ministry that could use that. And um, it wasn't but a couple of weeks later that we received a check from Rob that was almost to the dollar, the same amount of what our paycheck would have been. That increases affection between two brothers in Christ. He didn't know the ministry that he was having at that moment. And by the way, that was 30 years ago, something like that, 30 years ago. This increases and has the power to increase our affection among the brothers and sisters within the life of the church. Notice here, they long for you and they pray for you. And notice why. Because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Who wouldn't want that? I do. I want the surpassing grace of God on me. I want it. Again, Say we want it. Well, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. But again, who is the giver ultimately? We've sung over and over and over again this morning. We give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone. A trust, O Lord, from thee. We've sang it in more than one song, that same idea. In his theology of giving, I want us to look where Paul concludes all this. Look at the very last verse of chapter 9. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Jenny has always been fond of saying, we can never outgive God. She has said it to me, I think, since we've been married, and she's said it to our children since they've been born. We can never outgive God. And that actually is true in more than one way. We give, and He will supply and multiply our seed for growing. But also, so, so we can't give, we can't outgive Him in what He continually gives to us and supplies for us. But also, we can't outgive God because of what God has already given us, because of what we have in Christ Jesus. He's given Himself to us. He's given us His Son. He's given us life and and life eternal. He's given us forgiveness of sin. He's given us His righteousness. He's given us peace with Him. He's given us a future and a hope. He's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, these things, these are eternal and they are ultimate Our world spends precious little time thinking of these realities. Our world spends its time and pins its hopes on the things of this world. On those things that are but a vapor, but passing with the wind. And this world clings to those. And that's why they've got such a closed grip on the possessions of this world. But they gain for nothing in the world to come. (laughs) But, but we've been given 
We've been giving, and sure, we, we've, talked, we've talked about giving, but we've been given that inexpressible gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's the giver here? It sure ain't really us speaking in Arkansas language. So you, you may have begun thinking, though if you've been here long at Trinity Grace, let's be honest, you should have known better. You may have begun thinking, oh, our pastor is going to browbeat us and talk about what I need to give. Guess what? I don't know what you need to give. I don't know the answer to that. I'm not preaching to exact anything from you. So I think and I pray that while you're probably not surprised, I think and I pray and I hope that you have been encouraged because my role <clears throat> and my purpose is this, to teach you what God says about giving and then not to tell you what to give, but to remind you of what you've been given in Christ Jesus. That's my role. To remind you that while we have talked about giving, the giver, the ultimate giver, is our great and gracious God. For from him, the forgiveness of sin, through the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, life eternal, the glories of heaven. So I think we all could say truly, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray, shall we? Our God in heaven, we do say thanks be to God for your inexpressible gift, the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we stand. And may we leave here with that hope and that encouragement. For many of us, and I know what it's like, been there, done that, in some ways still there. Lord, there are many of us that, that want to experience this in ways that are bigger and better and greater and yet, because of past decisions, we find ourselves where we feel strapped and unable. But Lord, our, our ability is not what puts us in right standing before you. Our success doesn't, isn't what puts us in right standing before you. What puts us in right standing before you is your inexpressible gift of the Lord Jesus to us. And so, Lord, may we rest in that. And may that move us, may that change us, may that teach us, may that, may that be that which motivates us in our hearts because of what Jesus has done. So may we live today encouraged because you've given us that inexpressible gift. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. <coughs>